Now, God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, today is the last Sunday of the liturgical year known as Christ the King Sunday, a reminder as we reflect on the past year and look forward to the future that our eyes are always set on Christ Jesus as Lord. Our Book of Common Worship states, at the conclusion of the Christian year, we celebrate the sovereignty of God who is known to us in Jesus Christ. On this day, as on every day, we give honor and glory to the Lord of heaven and earth and watch and pray for the coming of God's realm of righteousness, justice, and peace. Above all earthly powers, the crucified and risen Lord alone claims our adoration and allegiance. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is first and last, beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. What strikes me in this of, of, is Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. This is who we claim that Christ is for us. Not just to get, guarantee our ticket to the afterlife, but to redeem us here and now on earth. How we live here on earth matters right now. How our neighbors and the people that live in this world matter right now. And so today is also Matthew 25 Sunday, a day that churches across the Presbyterian Church USA remember our call and identity to not only feed, clothe, and help the poor and oppressed, but to stand alongside those who struggle and are held captive by poverty and oppression. This Matthew 25 initiative calls us to actively engage in the world by working in three specific areas to eradicate systemic poverty, to dismantle structural racism, and to build congregational vitality. And so our own local and global missions committees have joined forces to adopt this initiative and to specifically work in the area of eradicating systemic poverty. This is, of course, not a new ministry for us. We have been serving faithfully in this capacity for a long time. But it is an identity. It is a culture that we need to claim anew, just as Jesus claimed his own identity to bring good news to the poor, to the captive, blind, and oppressed. And so here now our scripture from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to pro proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. 
Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier this year, when it was still pretty cold, about February or so, I found myself in a muddy backyard hauling a mattress from a small garden shed into a neighbor's truck. It was one of those typical garden sheds, you know, where you might keep your lawnmower, your bicycles, or if you're me, just lots of junk. There was no plumbing. There was a bare light bulb that had been rigged haphazardlessly in a corner, and a tiny space heater was propped up close to the bed. But the bed wasn't being stored there. Someone was living in this tiny shed. William, who was probably in his 50s, had terrible health problems, and we were constantly having to call the ambulance for him. He had been living in this shed through the coldest part of the year for several months. This was just across the street from me, behind a normal-looking house. I had no idea somebody was living in a garden shed across the street from me for the longest time. Eventually, my neighbors and I managed to get in touch with the Volunteer Ministry Center, and he found housing. But I've never forgotten that dark night in the mud. It's not even been a year. Hauling a bed from that shed, where thankfully it was being taken to William's new home. Many of you know I don't live too far from here. I live in Park Ridge, a neighborhood in East Knoxville, where Cherry Street and Magnolia Avenue meet. It is the poor side of town. And we've heard so much news of gun violence, and the death of five Austin East High School students have dominated that news, which is less than a mile from my house. And so my community has been struggling. We've been on edge, we've been mourning, we are seeking healing, and we are especially seeking change. But I love it. I love where I live, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. It is full of a diverse range of folks, of all colors and lovely old homes. Pizza Palace, the Lunch House, Chandler's Deli, along with Chilhowee Park, the Muse, and Knoxville Sioux are institutions in my neck of the woods and are must visits. There are more Dollar Trees, Dollar Generals, and Dollar Stores than I can count, lots of car places, car repair places, beauty shops, small churches, and two wonderful coffee shops. But there's also more payday lending storefronts than anywhere else in Knoxville. Nearly one a block, if not more, all throughout Magnolia Avenue. Prostitution is a problem. Affordable housing is in a crisis, which is really citywide and nationwide. And often, even if the house is affordable, it's in such deplorable conditions and owned by slumlords that have no incentive to improve them. Poverty is complex. It's intricately intertwined with so many complicating factors, racism, mental health, education, housing, incarceration, and more. 
I was raised in an upper middle class community and as a white, educated young woman with no medical concerns or debt, I recognize my privilege and so I can't share with you how debilitating poverty is personally, but I see it around me. I see it around this church and I have friends and neighbors that struggle. And so I can't ignore what is in my own backyard and neither can the church. Poverty is a narrative that has no place in God's story of abundance. Neither can we spiritualize poverty and speak as if we should only be concerned about being poor in spirit. We know that poverty is all too real and it affects people we interact with every day. Some of us know how soul-crushing it is. Some of, them know the, some of us know the burden of carrying it. And perhaps we have loved ones that even struggle with poverty. It's something addressed in our scriptures time and again. Nehemiah, from our first scripture reading, saw his own people struggling and stepped into the struggle with them. An exiled Jewish prophet who served the Persian king, Nehemiah can't ignore the cries of his people who are suffering back in Jerusalem, living in the ruins of the holy city and devastation of the temple. And so he convinces the king to let him return home and help the people rebuild the city, but realizes while he's there that there's more than just the city in ruins. The community is broken. A famine has led to massive starvation, and the king's taxes are heavy, so heavy that it's causing many of the Jews to seek loans just in order to get food. Despite explicit laws in Exodus 22 forbidding creditors from exacting interest on loans, these loans are exorbitant. When lendies default and can't pay their debts, they have no choice but to give up their land or they have to sell their children into slavery in order to settle the debts. And though their kinfolk are suffering and enslaved, the rich nobles and officials turn a blind eye and rather exploit the situation for their own profit, charging these high interest rates that further plunge their suffering kin into debilitating debt and poverty. Without their children, who are now slaves, they can't work the fields. But even so, the fields can't produce because of the famine, and the king's taxes are still due. It's this mounting cycle of despair and hardship that they can't seem to break out of. They are people trapped in a perpetual broken system. And so they cry out, we are powerless. Our land has been taken and our children are gone. They groan and they lament. And Nehemiah hears, are we hearing the folks around our own community. It's no different, it feels like, in our own society and culture. Too many people are enslaved in a cycle of poverty that seems unbreakable. There is no place in America today where someone working full-time at minimum wage can afford housing, affordable health care, food, housing, and other essentials. 
Nationwide, there are more than 40 million low-wage workers. Raising the minimum wage by just $2 could have prevented more than 57,000 suicides between 1990 and 2015. And predatory lending, such as payday loans, which give out small, quick cash loans, have astronomical interest rates from 160% to over 500%. In Tennessee, the average interest rate for such a loan is 460%, turning a small loan of a couple hundred dollars into thousands of dollars due. There are five vacant homes for every homeless person in our country. Before COVID, eight to 10 million people were homeless or on the brink of homelessness. And unstable housing among families with children will cost the U.S. $111 billion in avoidable health and special education costs over the next 10 years. I could continue on and on with all kinds of awful statistics about systemic poverty in the state of our nation, but you get it. Poverty is itself a pandemic that has pervaded our country for generations, and no one vaccine or solution is going to cure it. COVID-19 has only lifted up the many silent cracks in our country that can no longer be ignored. We can't ignore the groans and laments of our neighbors. We see it too often in our streets and our neighborhoods. Nehemiah could not turn deaf ears to his people. Their cries were too loud. He couldn't ignore the families suffering from malnutrition or the children that were suddenly disappearing because they were being sold into slavery. And so his anger at seeing his kinfolk suffering needlessly, his faith propels him forward with his anger. It lights a fire in him to confront the whole community, to call a great assembly, wealthy and poor alike, and seek justice to fix this broken system. Because he knows that it doesn't have to be this way. And so we like to say that he could have done any kind of compassion ministry, such as our fish pantry, which is so important. He could have opened a soup kitchen. He could have baked bread or made casseroles or planted a vegetable garden for them. But he recognized that this would not solve the system in place, that it would continue until something disrupted it, that children would be, continue to be enslaved to settle debts, that starvation would continue and poverty would persist. Because putting Band-Aids on bullet holes does not alleviate the wider problems. And so instead, this prophet calls the leaders of the community and all the officials to account. And he even admits himself to his own complicity, naming that he has been engaging in these lending practices and gaining from them. He says, moreover, I and my brothers and servants are lending them money and grain. Let us stop this taking of interest, restore to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the interest on money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting on them. And so he challenges the economic system in place, and together that they recognize that the culture of lending had to change. Even in a season of famine, there was still plenty for everyone to survive. 
And so rather than just considering the symptoms, he named how the current system of poverty had formed, and he called the community to task. And together, they recognized that poverty did not have to be their story. Restoration was possible. But it took returning from a heart set on self to a heart set outward on community. It took standing among the poor and oppressed, which is tough work. Working to disrupt and transform long set systems is hard. It's messy, it causes disruption, it creates tension that many of us want to avoid at all costs. But it's disrupting brokenness that is causing so much disorder in order to seek wholeness and restoration. It's claiming hard truths that are hard to name. It's recognizing that it's long-haul work that upends structures that are established to privilege certain people at the detriment of others. It's stepping out of the comfort of our own story and broadening it to include those that Jesus and Nehemiah walked with. How will the church, our churches, be a part of creating new life-giving paths to disrupt poverty in our own communities? And we are doing that. We are continuing the work of our fish food pantry, family promise, Habitat for Humanity, Bridge Refugee Services, which are all needed compassion ministries. But we need to look further at why these ministries are needed in the first place, why poverty persists, and pursue justice for those that are struggling to just survive. We're doing this, of course. We have done this through our work of Justice Knox. In May, over 1,100 Knoxville citizens gathered in a great assembly called the Nehemiah Action and we witnessed as our city mayor, India Kincannon, and seven city council members agreed to adopt an ordinance creating an affordable housing trust fund that designates $50 million over the next 10 years in the city budget to create housing for the lowest income residents in the city. It was a remarkable moment that many of us saw and were there for the culmination of years of work by Justice Knox, this interfaith community-wide ministry dedicated to addressing issues of injustice in our community. It wasn't just due to our congregation though, it was due to congregations coming together to form a network, just like Nehemiah did in his great assembly. We came across different backgrounds, different traditions, and we sought a new way forward that we discovered with the community and its leaders. The Spirit united us to seek justice and to declare God's narrative of abundance, hope, and restoration. That is our story, a story of abundance, one that Christ declared and that we too are tasked with carrying out in this world. When Jesus set foot in the synagogue and claims to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah, his first words are what? Good news for the poor. Liberation and freedom for the oppressed, the blind, and the captives are the first things he announces. This is his work, 
And so therefore, it is our work. We are Christ in the heart of Knoxville and beyond. We are a Matthew 25 church. And so let these words, the prophet Isaiah, these words of Jesus, be ours as well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen.